What's next now that the COVID emergency is over? Dollars are going to take us so far, but hearts, minds, that's where the humanities really come in and, and do their job. That story is next on WGLT's Sound Ideas. Good afternoon. I'm John Norton. Also on today's show, a career prep academy in Bloomington wants to add more options and address stereotypes about technical training. Oh, that's the old woodshop classes idea where um, that's where you put kids that that aren't going to higher places. That's not true of of our students or, or of what we do. And it's profound yet silly. At its core, this story is about what it means when you are not the hero. Community Players puts on a satirical fan fiction of Harry Potter. Those stories after a Bloomington Normal News update, which is just ahead. This is WGLT Sound Ideas on 89.1 FM and WGLT.org, part of the NPR network. Support for WGLT comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology. Hear My Story continues with local patient Bill McKay. Folks that had never had a, a set of hearing aids were always concerned. All of a sudden, oh, you've got, well, yes, I, I wear them too. And, and it's really is helpful. And these things are really kind of nice. Bill's full story can be found at bnaudiology.com. From the campus of Illinois State University in Normal, this is WGLT's news magazine, Sound Ideas. I'm John Norton. Thanks for listening today. Grants were pivotal for helping many humanities organizations through the COVID-19 pandemic. But a new report says the pandemic also shined a light on the well-being and social cohesion the arts and humanities offered in a time of isolation. Gabrielle Lyon is executive director of the Illinois Humanities. Lyon tells Tim Shelley from sister station WCBU, what's next for arts and culture now that the COVID emergency and relief funding have ended. What most of all made us want to dig in and do this work is because what the humanities contribute, what the arts and culture contribute to our well-being is really invisible. And collectively, the organizations we partnered with, that we funded, almost 400 of them, They're in places that people don't think of as being resilient, that maybe don't think of as having culture, um, when in fact, these organizations didn't just um, pivot during the pandemic. They sometimes served as community anchors. So I think the first thing was, let's bring some visibility to the work. And also, let's start to understand our, our state. Let's try to understand this constellation of organizations and what they're really doing for us that maybe has been under the radar. So would you say the the pandemic, uh, as you mentioned, kind of highlighted some of these organizations, brought a level of awareness to them that they they hadn't previously uh, had? I would say that the the pandemic threw a bright light on need and disparity. And that's across all sectors, not just arts and culture. But it definitely brought to light the... um, expansiveness of the ways in which arts and culture and humanities organizations in our state stepped up to help communities. And one of our big questions was, you know, what happens when we start to look at these organizations all together? What do we know about who they're serving, where they are? What are the, you know, what are the contexts for their their work? And that just hadn't ever been done before. No one had done a landscape study before. It's certainly not comprehensive. But it's our first look at what is our state's ecosystem. And we found a couple of surprising things that we think are important for people to know and understand and for us to work on together. 
And one of the things uh, mentioned in the report really is is what you were mentioning, economic impact of a lot of these organizations and the fact that, you know, humanities organizations really need a, a seat at the table when you're having discussions about economic development in a lot of these communities. Uh, tell me a little bit more about why, uh, why that belief is, is stated in the study. I think one of the things that's been really striking to us is the ways in which once you leave Chicago, once you leave Cook County, you know, that's an incredible opportunity in terms of bringing tourism dollars, economic development dollars, and arts, humanities, culture together. That, first of all, when people move someplace or live someplace, they want something to do. They want their kids to have experiences that expand their horizons, that introduce them to different ideas, to, to have ways to be creative, right? We all want that for our kids. I think one of the things that is really striking is during the vast majority of relief efforts, it was very hard for these community anchor organizations to be even eligible for the kinds of funding that were available because of their size, because of the geographic location, right? A lot of priorities on urban centers. And the flip side is they're doing a lot of the social good work that we need for like a really just livable society. So I think that's one of the reasons why really getting a seat at the table, making a seat at the table, reminding ourselves, hey, the humanities, arts, culture, they are an engine. I think the other thing, though, is it's not just transactional. It's not just about money. It's about our morality. It's about our ways of being together. It's about having empathy. And so when we don't have folks at the table who can help us ask questions about what it means to be together or what it means to, to bridge histories, uh, we're missing the opportunity. You know, policy is only going to take us so far. Dollars are going to take us so far. But hearts, minds, that's where the humanities really, you know, come in and, and do their job. And I guess really that, that gets kind of in my next point, which is a lot of these organizations we're talking about are, are nonprofits and, uh, predictability of funding is a, is a constant thing nonprofits are struggling with in terms of are you getting funding from grants? Uh, are you getting funding from, you know, individual contributors, private donor businesses, what have you? Uh, but, but keeping that stream steady and going so that you can employ people and have the services to continue to keep your operations going, I mean, that, that's a perpetual challenge. How, how do we help uh, some of these organizations with that? I really appreciate you asking that question. You know, for smaller organizations, volunteers are a big part of what enables them to keep their doors open and welcome people. So again, you can imagine the, the ripple effects of the pandemic, right? Um, but moving forward, it is clear when we talk about infrastructure dollars and we think about money for roads, when we think about money for our built environment, that some of those softer aspects like cultural centers and communities 
they absolutely can and should be part of it. So I think one is we have the dollars and we need to really think in a systems way about what a livable state is like. So I, I think one thing is there there is the money. It's about understanding how do we invest for the long haul for the society we want. I think the second thing is with regards to like, where does the money come from? The vast majority of dollars available are still through the state budget in Illinois, and especially for communities outside of Chicago. That's just the practical reality. So I think part of our ask is we understand this landscape and, you know, we're, we're, we have a lot to learn, is really encouraging private foundations, larger foundations, to think about our rural neighbors, to think about our, um, you know, our, our folks that are maybe outside the Chicago metropolitan area as being critical for like what it's going to take to make our state really healthy. That was Illinois Humanities Executive Director Gabrielle Lyon talking with Tim Shelley from sister station WCBU. Next Monday will mark 45 years since one of the most contentious labor disputes in McLean County history came to an end. We'll take you back to the normal firefighter strike that was unlike any other. That's coming up Monday on WGLT Sound Ideas. I'm John Norton. Education and business leaders are bringing the heat in their efforts to help high school juniors and seniors find a career path. Bryce Hansen is assistant principal of the Bloomington Area Career Center and will soon take over as director. The Career Center runs the Heat Academy with BN STEM. The academy focuses on health, engineering, agribusiness, and technology. It offers 13-week training programs high school students can take each spring. There's no testing or homework, but it does help them explore potential career paths. The academy currently offers programs in cybersecurity and solar, wind, and electric vehicles. That started in the spring. In this conversation with WGLT student reporter Megan Spurline, Hansen explains how the Academy hopes to grow. The Heat Academy was really derived out of conversations between local education, but also local industry of how can we help talented local kids stay local um, and how can we fill employment needs um, and connect that with kids or what kids are interested in and passionate about. So um, healthcare is obviously a huge need. Uh, with the two hospitals in town, um, but also nursing homes and doctor's offices and, and things like that. Um, you know, in the in the engineering space, we have a robotics and engineering program at, at BACC, but I think there's plenty of opportunity for growth there. The agribusiness, like I said, we're just kind of in very preliminary talks. What could we do in that space? I, I think it's pretty early to really commit to much, but, uh, you know, we're looking at that. And then the technology we've been able to... Um, We've been able to kind of have that cybersecurity and, and some of that clean energy program run as well. So, you know, how do you determine what programs that you add? I think we try to find a perfect marriage of what a local need is. Um, and so, for example, um, you know, a few years ago, we heard from nursing homes in town hey, we need more nurses and CNAs, you know, and so. A Bloomington Area Career Center was able to start a CNA or, or kind of expand their CNA program and, and help fill more of that. Um, I think you have to look at student interest too. Um, there's a lot of good ideas or there might even be things that local employers are really needing, but it's pretty hard for us to run a program if no kids show up for it. And so 
Um, you know, sometimes it's trial and error. Sometimes it's talking to kids. Um, sometimes it's people coming to us and asking, do you have a program like this that, that might motivate us to explore it or look into it? What have been like, you know, student, you know, parent, educator reactions so far? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think people are, are very positive on our, our Heat Academy uh, through the BACC. And uh, we, I should mention also we partner with uh, BN STEM for that. Um, Rebecca Henderson is their CEO, and she's been instrumental in, in kind of helping us get those programs going. Um, we get a lot of really positive reaction. Um, it's, it's something that kids are able to do, um, in most cases, outside of their school hours, school day, um, that allows them to explore a career and, and, um, you know, if, if a kid can find a career they like, or even if they can find, I didn't like that, I see that as a win. <laughs> you know, I, I think of myself, I had three different majors in college and I mean, if I could have cut out even one or two of those, I might've saved myself and my parents some money and, you know, I saved myself some time. So, um, yeah, I, I think we've had a lot of positive feedback from educators as well, you know, um. In my experience, educators want what's best for kids, and I, I think this is something that's really positive overall for students. So, um, what would you say the biggest challenges are with you know running this program? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, Megan. Um, you know, right now the Bloomington Area Career Center is challenged for space. Um, we're kind of out of physical space, so we've we've had really productive partnerships with like Heartland Community College, for example, to to host some classes. Um, in terms of the, the HEAT Academy uh, that BACC partners with BN STEM to run, um, I think the biggest challenge there is just an awareness of it. Um, I think a lot of people don't know that it's happening you know, or, or that it exists. I think another challenge that, um, that we're always fighting in career and technical education is the concept of, oh, this is a track for kids who aren't going to college. This is a track for kids who don't do well in school. And, and that's just not really accurate. Um, you know, in fact, kids that participate in career and technical ed are more likely to graduate and more likely to go on to post-secondary education. So there's kind of a negative stereotype of, you know, I'll, I'll call it kind of the antiquated, the old, oh, that's the old woodshop classes idea where um, that's where you put kids that, that aren't going to higher places. Um, and that's just, that's not true of, of our students or, or of what we do. And so... Um, there's a lot of times you kind of have to correct people's stereotypes and say, well, actually, you know, the vast majority of our kids go on to college and, and kind of help them understand that that we're preparing them for higher end careers in those industries. That was Bryce Hansen from the Bloomington Area Career Center with WGLT student reporter Megan Spurline. The Academy also offers nursing courses through the Career Center curriculum. a whole lot of numbers to talk about this week. Jobless claims, the consumer price index, the producer price index. Once again, we ask, what is going on in this economy? We'll do that next time on Marketplace. Listen this afternoon at 530 on WGLT 89.1 FM and WGLT.org. This is Sound Ideas on WGLT. I'm John Norton. Community Players' latest production has Boy Wizards, Dark Lords, and Sorting Hats, but it's not exactly Harry Potter. WGLT's Lauren Warnicke stopped by a rehearsal to talk with Eve Warner and Mario Silva, two cast members playing multiple characters in the play Puffs.
sounds like the opening montage of a Harry Potter movie, think again. It's the theme song for Puffs, a satirical fan fiction based on Potterworld that follows the lesser-known Hogwarts house, sort of. Playwright Matt Cox pushed the limits of fair use in creating his off-off-Broadway play. Thus, the community players have a lot of rules related to how they talk about a certain boy wizard who attends a certain wizarding school and the Puffs by Potter's side during seven very eventful years. Making her community player's debut, Eve Warner says auditioning for Puffs was a last-minute decision. It's been a blast. It's been so lovely. Tell me about who your character is. So I play several characters. Um, Sally Perks is my puff. Um, she is shy and goes to this school, in case you didn't know. Um, she is loving and a little bit ditzy, um, but super friendly and cares a lot about her puff friends. Mario, this is not your first rodeo. This is my 10th show here at Community Players. I think of myself as kind of having two main characters, Jay Finch-Fletchley. Uh, he's boyish and fun, as he says in his first line. I'm Jay Finch-Fletchley. I'm boyish and fun. Hi! And, you know, he's just really enthusiastic, really upbeat. But, you know, he has a certain experience that lets him see the dark side of things involving a certain snake. So, you know, he kind of gets that too. And there's some maturity as the show goes on in that respect. Um, my other one being Zach Smith, who has absolutely no maturity. Uh, he's a pure jock, and uh, he's there to run a tryout and to tell you a little story, uh, which changes every night. I think that Harry Potter fans will love this. And it also is a playful rant on that world. So I think people that hate Harry Potter will also love this. But I want to know for the minority of folks who don't know the Potter stories, how they can enter this world. I am one of those people. In fact, I um, you have not... Um, had exposure to uh, any other wizarding IPs in many, many years. And so I was coming into this as more of a, a fresh slate. And I'd say that the jokes play. At its core, this story is about what it means when you are not the hero. And I think all of us in some sense can relate to that, right? We've all been a background character in someone else's story. And that can be difficult at times and also beautiful and lovely. And I think that there are a lot of touch points to that sort of cornerstone that anyone can relate to on any level, no matter um, what pop culture you have consumed or not. It's really a story about the meaning of life in a way. You know, it's, it's, it's extremely profound for being so silly. And I think that's what people will find when they see the show, that there's a turn at some point. You know, like a lot of really good comedies, there's a moment of where the levity turns to seriousness. And, and you find that all those jokes had a sort of tinge of seriousness. It's a bit more than it seems, just like the Puffs. Each of the other three houses that young wizards are assigned to with their sorting hat have an identity. And the Puffs are everybody else. What they have in common is that they have nothing in common. Yeah, um, so Sally is a really interesting character. One of her favorite lines is, I go to this school. I'm Sally Parkson. I go to this school. <laughs> but it doesn't really make her stand out or unique. So one of the really great things that's been cool about Sally is that I've been able to create that background character for myself and actually create that uniqueness for her when in reality she's presenting as someone through the lines that are already in the text as someone who's not that much of a standout. For me, I'm very short. 
five feet tall. You'll see if, if you come see the show, I'm a rather diminutive person. Um, and for, you know, that was a struggle for me for a long time, right? It's something naturally that, you know, it doesn't necessarily behoove one in, in society. You know, people aren't necessarily kind to a short man. But it's also something that's made me unique that I've been able to use as a, as a strength, a selling point, something that can give me a, a, a bit of a different look and, and uh, you know, selling point for myself as an actor. So I think one thing that Puffs really gets across is that those things that you think are your greatest weaknesses, you can own and make your greatest strengths. While I know you are both legally obligated to not utter the words Harry Potter together, it's kind of a weird time for Potter. And J.K. Rowling has has had a lot of notoriety on social media, and a lot of people have questioned their childhood adoration for this wizard world and questioned whether or not they should have believed in it. Maybe some are oblivious to this, but some may also be really put off by the idea of any affiliation with Potter world. So what do you say to that? them to uh, convince them that they should come? Well, first and foremost, uh, as you mentioned, there is no affiliation. Um, So JK Rowling is making no profit. For me, the memories are more about the community that I made and the people that I connected with in relation to any, you know, story and less about the artist itself. Although I do think it is important to note that you can never separate the art from the artist. However one feels about it is appropriate. How one feels is not something that another person can tell you uh, what what that should be. And I know that there are people on every side, including those who have been negatively impacted by uh, her comments, which I think are completely off base, certainly don't reflect my views. As Eve said, this show stands on its own. And I think that's a really good point that Matt Cox, the author, makes, that this is a world, this is a universe in which those um, extrinsic factors tied to other wizarding IPs are not necessarily things that are around an albatross around our necks, right? We don't see it that way anyway. I don't see it that way anyway. Um, but I can certainly understand again how other people would see it that way. A statement by Puff's director Brett Catoni says the play, quote, captures everything about this franchise that I love. A sense of adventure, a heroic underdog, a coming-of-age tale, and a focus of belonging and finding yourself. This will be the version of the story I want to remember. I'm Lauren Warnicky. That was Puff's cast members Mario Silva and Eve Warner. Puff's runs through May 21st at the Community Players Theatre in Bloomington. Support for arts and culture programming on WGLT comes from PNC Financial Services. We're focusing on giving back as part of an ongoing commitment to the community PNC serves. And that is Sound Ideas Today, WGLT's news magazine made possible in part by Bloomington Normal Audiology. I'm John Norton. Story help today came from WGLT's Lauren Warnicky, also WGLT student reporter Megan Spurline, and WCBU's Tim Shelley. This is 89.1 WGLT and WGLT.com. Org, part of the NPR network.